you would open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. I'm just going to read to you verse 14 and 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you would just pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for hearts to receive the message of your gospel that you have given to us. We ask for just clarity about how to study and read and understand what you have to say to us. We pray for your spirit's empowerment uh, to transform us. We know we can't be changed apart from you. We know the disciples needed the spirit's power. It was granted that they understood the message. The call to them was effective, like it changed their life. And although it did change their life, there were still many struggles along the way. And you know, we need your help for us to believe afresh, to believe maybe more fully. We need your help every time we set before your word to remind us and help us understand. In Christ's name, amen. So we're just going to kind of, this is a little different because we're going to do a survey of the gospel uh, of Mark, but also just kind of talk a little bit about what we are doing when we're studying and how we study and think about some of those things. Um, if you are new to the church, uh, you know that there's a study guide written, or you may have heard that there was a study guide written every week, and they're on the back uh, table back there. Um, but we write that uh, because we think that it is important for you to be able to study the Bible. Uh, you, we live in a culture where you most people can read, and so with reading, you can also read more deeply and think deeply about things. Uh, we also have at 9.30 a discussion group, 10.30. In our service, you'll see in some things like the call to confession, uh, something that summarizes the text of that we're studying generally, and then a sermon on that text. Then we have small groups where we uh, seek to apply that text. And so we work through a book of the Bible, and we work through passage by passage. But again, today is just a summary for you. And so the first thing I thought about was like just thinking about what are the benefits of studying uh, the Gospels. One thing just to say is just a... When you do study a gospel, all of the Old Testament is leading up to the coming of the Messiah. And so when you study a gospel, Jesus is there. The kingdom of God is at hand. He's come. And so uh, in studying a gospel, it helps, and then it builds the foundation for the rest of the Bible. So it's, all, it's kind of the, the central focus is going to be on the coming of Christ, and then after he comes, uh, announcing both that he did come and then he will return. And so it's important, I think, to study in that case. Uh, you get that in these uh, gospels, these four gospels. And so you'll find out what, uh, who Jesus was, what he said and did. Uh, it culminates in his crucifixion and resurrection. And then kind of the focus will be on how to respond properly to him. And so that's kind of generally, when you're thinking about those, the gospels, uh, that's what you want to keep in your mind. So you will get to know your Savior. You will hear his words, you will see his works, 
You will observe his interactions with people. Uh, you will get a glimpse into his heart. Uh, you will like um, see how people respond to him uh, in a variety of different ways. And so you'll see that. And you'll hopefully grasp um, what happened at the cross and rejoice in uh, what Christ did in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And um, so all of those things are, are going to take place. And it's not that you don't see that in other places. It's just uh, very focused here in helping you see those things. Now, when I start reading a book of the Bible, I was thinking about that this week, and Ryan said maybe you ought to mention that. Uh, when I'm reading a book of the Bible, uh, there are some things that I generally do. And uh, there was people that helped me with that. There's a ministry called Precept Ministries. They focused their whole time on helping people read the Bible well. And they, of course, were very uh, formative in that and later seminary and some of those things. But one of the things I took from them was just uh, identifying key things and then marking them in the text. So typically, I will print out the whole uh, book that we're studying. Uh, Ryan's probably going to mention there are these little books that have all the text printed in them with wide margins that we provide for you. We'll have a few if somebody wants one. But I like to have the whole Bible printed out, uh, Some um, for me, just uh, uh, the text printed out, and I print it on just normal paper, and I will be looking for key things as I read through. And, and what I've found is when I'm reading through uh, a book of the Bible, uh, there are things that are going to um, be repeated, and that, that means that they're important. And so I look for repeated things. So a couple of things that I notice in um, this study of Mark. One is like I'm always going to mark uh, references to time. So one of the things, if you read through Mark, you would see the word immediately. That, that's, that's a helpful thing. Uh, there's something about the, the way in which he communicates that that helps you. It's very, sometimes it's very packed, like boom, 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 boom. But the, the, the reference to time that I would mark in a distinct way. I would mark other references, but I would mark immediately for sure. Another thing is geographical locations. And that's just something when you're studying, uh, uh, especially with a gospel, uh, geographical locations matter because he's moving. Jesus is moving around. And um, this, the, the whole flow of this is tied to that. But he starts in the northern region, and then there's kind of this period of him moving towards the southern region, and then he ends up in Jerusalem. And so it helps you just to kind of get the flow of thought. Another thing that I do, I try to mark and, and address, and there are key people, uh, names or pronouns of those people. Now, when I was younger, I would mark Jesus and every reference to him. But in a gospel, that's pretty exhaustive, right? Because it's all about him and every pronoun to him. I'm like, that is unbelievable amounts of marking so in this case I would say anytime there was something that associates his name like or Jesus to like a title that would be something for me because that stands out to me as uh, when he meets for instance with demons they're always calling him a certain name you know they'll say oh you know son of David or well you know different things they're going to speak these names and those names uh, will give you understanding as to who he is because in in the book of Mark the demons know more about him than most everybody else I mean that's you know that's that's the feel you're going to get because they understand who their foe is you could say um, another thing is um, so I'm going to as a result of that I'm going to probably mark demons in a particular way uh, it was funny, when we started reading this as a family, uh, the first couple of uh, 
family worship times or whatever, uh, or like maybe the first week or so, it was like there was a lot of talk about the demonic, and everybody's like, what? You know, y'all, we all don't talk about that very much, you know, and so, you know, it was one of those things. So I'm going to mark every reference to demons, to the disciples, because there are times with the disciples, it's, it's very, the explanations he gives the disciples gives you insight into how everything kind of lays out. To the religious leaders, you learn a lot from them. That, that's something I would mark in a distinctive way. Because the religious leaders, their interactions are very telling of the way in which they understood God to work versus the way that um, Jesus is going to kind of interact and explain those things. The Gentiles are important to me because I think that a lot of times will help you see um, their responses, which uh, was different than a lot of the Jewish people. And then the crowds, I kind of that's a helpful thing. We'll give you a few more just to help you think about it. But I would read through and try to, maybe I would read through and say, okay, do I see that? Or I'm going to read through and mark every reference to this. Then I'm going to come back and mark every reference to the other. And you say, well, Jared, you have time to do that. I don't have time. But over the long period of time that we're going to study this, you do have time. So I would just say those things would be really helpful for you. Uh, that Jesus preached and healed is a big deal. So I like to see that. I like to know his preaching and his healing. All that stuff is verifying who he is. His words and his works. They're they're demonstrating that. So that's something I'm going to mark. Parables. I like to, when I'm reading through a gospel, first time he does a parable, I'll put parable one. And I go through and mark every parable so I can go back and see where the parables are. Um, Concepts. In, I mean, if I'm studying through, I'm looking at concepts. For instance, the concept of follow. That's a big deal. Follow me. And you will see that throughout where he is speaking intimately to his disciples, which I think is a central theme in Mark. So that's something that I would mark there. Kingdom of God is another. The kingdom is coming, crashing down upon earth. The kingdom of God has come. And what that means is the king has come. And that means that um, the world that is in chaos is being uh, shaken. And everything that's upside down is being sometimes just turned right side up so that you can see what it ought to be like. So the kingdom of God is a massive thing there. Uh, Jesus' authority is another big one. Um, The idea of faith uh, with those who encounter him. Okay, a couple more. Repeated conversations. If Jesus talks about that I'm about to be crucified and I'm going to die and be buried and rise again, and then he says that again and then he says that again, he's not confused about why he came here. And Mark wants you to know that. He's not just, oh, wicked people didn't like this zealot that came along and they killed him. He came with the intended purpose of offering his life. He willingly did so. And so, again, all that stuff's going to be in there. Uh, you can always mark the, the different, uh, like the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, the triune God, in a distinct way. That's really helpful, except for in this case, like I said, I'm not going to mark Jesus because he's mentioned so many times it would get cluttered for me. You might say, well, this already sounds cluttered. But it really is helpful sometimes just to, because I can flip through usually and see uh, something really quickly, like what's going on in the text. And I'm trying to say, the more I see things repeated, the more I realize that that's probably what this is about. This is what's going on. This is what's important. 
Why do they do that? And why does it look like that? So it helps you to do it. It also helps me to slow down. Some of you may be like me. You read your, your you read really like you would just read through things and you're, you're done and you kind of walk away from that. But if you don't slow down, then you're not going to really, the, 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 the text doesn't become alive and you know, emerge off of the page. So we're trying to get you to slow down and see and consider and to think and to ponder. And so those kind of things help you do that. Um, when you're, so leaving the whole marking of the text, the other thing that I've noticed lately um, is just uh, reading the passage aloud to someone for instance, in our family worship, or we've been doing um, we've been doing the Bible recap. Will and I have, and um, we've been reading that, and I've been reading it to him. And when I read it audibly, it's it's it's. I think it's been re- very beneficial for me personally. But it, I think most, for the most part, those who read these or heard the Gospel of Mark, they they really did. They heard it, and so uh, I think that's really helpful. So there, that's kind of the thing. Reading the Gospels, we're understanding it's the center of everything that's taking place is all centered around the coming king. And um, as we read a Gospel, those are some things that help me, and maybe they'll help you. So I took a little time there because I do want you to learn to read your Bible as well. That's one of, one of the guys, the professor that I uh, respect, he said, you're, that's what you're trying to do is help your people read their Bibles well. Because when you encounter the text and you can read it well, uh, empowered by the spirit now you may be lost and dead in your your spiritual understanding you can't see and understand and grasp but if you're in christ and you the spirit of god dwells you as the word is read and as you study it and all those things uh transformation is that's that's the the how you move towards being conformed to the image of his son and being transformed so uh we encourage you to do that so now when you um read the the uh, a gospel in general as you're reading it, one of the things that's a big deal is, again, some of the stuff's heady, so you're like, oh, you know. But genre's a big deal. And I always mess with the boys and be like, now, you know, this is this country music is a certain genre of music. And, and I'll say, so what are the things that they talk about in that genre? You know, and sometimes we'll talk about that. In the same way, in a gospel, uh, it is it is a particular genre. It is a biography and but it's more than that i mean it's telling the story of jesus life and all the things he did but it's not just a biography it's it's a gospel and a gospel is something different than just a biographical sketch of somebody's life a gospel is pushing you it's preaching it's calling you to believe in jesus to put your trust in him to put your whole life a center your life in him the big question for the ages is, is what are you going to do with Jesus? And it's calling you to that. It is proclaiming a message, and it's, it's um, explaining it in a way that you can understand. And so, um, by the way, just thinking about a gospel, you know that these people preach for long periods of time before they ever, um, before this was all written down. And so there was a way in which they thought and and considered and went through. And so if they were itinerant preachers that went around and proclaimed the gospel over and over and over and over, then uh, the structure of a gospel is something that is, is helpful because you can say they spent time crafting this so that you would understand and that you would respond. And so um, I think that's really helpful. Now, 
what is happening here when we think about the gospel uh, in the gospels. One author said it this way, Jesus is bringing about the long-awaited return of God himself as king in the power of the Spirit so that he might bring people back from exile and into the true promised land of the new creation. I'm going to stop there real quick. He's saying the king is coming. And when the king comes back to his creation, he is coming in such a way in the power of the Spirit to rescue a people and to restore the things that have been broken and lost. In the fall, all there was corruption. And so you see the restoration of things, kind of like the light has come and the, the kingdom has come. You're getting a glimpse into what that's like, what it means for God to show back up to his creation and his creatures and, and restore people and transform things. And you see that throughout this gospel. Forgiving their sins and fulfilling all the promises of God in the hopes of his people. So he is, he's coming, and he, when he comes on the scenes, he's transforming and changing things. And that comes with the forgiveness of sins and all the promises that he has made. Now, is all of that going to take place um, in the gospel of Mark? No, we're going to see what it means for him to come the first time and look forward to him coming the second time. Now, the last little thing about Mark, just you know that uh, most of you know, you've read about him with his association with Paul and Barnabas, uh, also with Peter. And most people say that's what the strongest connection, Peter calls him later my son. Strongest connection would be with Peter in the sense of uh, this witness. So this would be like the witness of Peter uh, through um, Mark's writing here. And so he's going to tell these stories and perhaps even tell them in a way like Peter would tell them. And so that is kind of uh, something that you want to see. Now, the other thing to say is um, when he does this, some people say, like, it's best to read Mark as a drama. Because, like I said, there'll be these immediately and there'll be these characters developed and things going on and all these interactions and you're walking through it. And so um, a lot of people would say you ought to break this drama up into three sections. The section surrounding when Jesus, like first, like when you're thinking about it, uh, when he first enters on the scenes, and in that section, you're, you're going to spend this time in, in Galilee. And then the section in between those two, and then thirdly, uh, the section when he goes strictly to Jerusalem to his arrest and trial and death and all that's surrounding there. And so this dramatic presentation is on display in Mark, and he is kind of walking you through uh, these, this structure. So this is something you could kind of put down for yourself just if you wanted to. Um, chapter 1 uh, through chapter 8, 21 could be like Act 1. And the question is, is like, who is Jesus? You could say that setting is Galilee, and certain, a lot of people speak of it in this way. Um, but eight twenty-two through ten fifty-two could be Act 2 on the way to Jerusalem uh, it's when people are learning about the cross and the disciples specifically. And you're asking the question, what does it mean for Jesus to be the Messiah? And then the third section, 11, 1 through 16, 8 is Act 3. And, and you're in Jerusalem and it's kind of how Jesus becomes the king. Because that's, that's a big question. Like, how does, he, how does he do that? How does he become, how are we sure that he is the Messiah? How does he become uh, the savior, the rescuer? the one that's going to bring about the restoration of these 
lost people, this broken situation. So let's just start by looking at one one, and just I want you to kind of see the setting here. He says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark doesn't give a lot of background. Like John goes back to the very beginning of the of, of human history or before human history and the ages before, you know. And uh, Matthew starts with the history of Israel and talks about all that stuff. Mark just, in Luke, I, I, you might say, he, could, you, he talks a lot about the birth of Christ and fills all that in. And Mark just starts and says, there's a messenger that came before the Messiah, and he came, and here it is. And he prepares the way. It's very abrupt. He just begins and gets started. And so 1, 2 through 13 is kind of considered like the prologue. John the Baptist is coming on the scenes, and he's calling people to repentance and baptism. And there's some discussions about like the type of baptism he's talking about because there were these cleansings and different things. But he's saying, like basically what he's saying is, you need to turn away from your sins and be cleansed. Like you need to prepare yourself for the coming king. That's what the, the this, this one that came beforehand, he's saying like, hey, get ready, he's coming. What does it look like to get ready when somebody is coming that is important and, and valuable and someone who's going to, uh, that you want to say, I want to live in a way that's honorable, he's coming, you know. And so that's kind of what takes place. John the baptized uh, a Baptist comes and he's baptizing them in the water. And then he says, but Jesus would baptize them with the Holy Spirit. So he's, what he's saying is like this idea of cleansing, like you, you know that there's coming one that's going to actually not just externally do something, but he's going to internally change your life. That's, that's kind of the idea that you see. And so it gets started. That's where we start. And we see that the kingdom has come. It's coming. The king is coming. You get prepared and get ready. Uh, this is going to be a glorious time. He's going to come to rescue us and redeem us. Then one fourteen through 8.21. So we talked about, like, who is Jesus? One of the things you're going to see, so, like, remember one fourteen and 15 I read earlier. After John was arrested, Jesus goes about proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So here's what you're going to see. His words and his works. That, that's going to be a big thing in this section. You're going to see him, uh, his power, and what it's like for the kingdom to come onto earth, and you see the wisdom of his words, and you see him confront evil, and you see um, what it means to be like uh, for Jesus to come in and reverse the curse. There are people that are sick. And he makes them well. And there are things that, that are that people that are oppressed. And there are people that are under demonic influence. And he, he like casts them aside like the, the demons. He pushes them out. He, he, he demands of them to respect and honor him. He, all of the darkness of the age, he is reversing all of those things. And so when you're thinking about just reading this gospel, that's what you're seeing. You're saying he is introducing us to who Jesus is. And then he has some parables in there. And maybe you've read the parables for, but they're often called like kingdom parables. And they're about what like the kingdom is like and how the word comes and some respond and some don't and some understand and it yields fruit and, and all of those things. And he'll speak of those and he'll speak of like how the kingdom seems so small and yet it's going to impact the whole world. And so you're introduced 
to Jesus. And the question of who is Jesus is answered there. And his words and his works and his power and authority over all things is on display. And then in 822 through 1052, on the way to Jerusalem, you're learning about the cross. What does it mean for Jesus to be the Messiah? This is pretty interesting. So I want you to turn to 827. And I just want you to see this real quick because it's, it's helpful to understand. Jesus is with his disciples. And he says, who do the people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say Elijah. And others say one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ. So that's the, I mean, that is one of those places where you're like, oh my goodness, this light bulb comes on. And there's this interaction where you're saying, we're learning about who Jesus is. And what does it mean, though, for him to be the Messiah? Peter didn't understand that. Like, he struggled with that. He could say, you're the Christ, and you're like, ah. In one of the Gospels, it says, you know what, Peter? Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. You didn't come up with that. You wouldn't have believed that. God had to help you with that. He opened your uh, understanding so that you would see that. But 8.31-33 through 33 says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. What, so what's happening? The question is sometimes like, well, what kind of, what does it mean for him to be the Messiah? Most people would think, Peter would think, he's going to come with a sword and overcome everybody, and he's going to come in there and defeat all of their enemies, specifically Rome, and there will be no more um, of this like getting beat down by the Roman world and all that kind of stuff. And then Jesus comes on the scenes and he says, I'm going to die. I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to be crucified, buried, and, and then I will rise again. Maybe they're not even hearing the rise again part because they're thinking we're following someone that says they're about to go and die. you know. And so you're, you're learning what does it mean for Jesus to be the Messiah. It means that he is going to offer his life. It means he's going to suffer on behalf of the people so that they can be saved he's going to rescue them and so anything that's contrary to that is false and honestly there are people today you might meet some people like this um i I actually was visiting with someone someone not too long ago and they were like well jesus wouldn't do this and jesus wouldn't say this and jesus wouldn't think like this and jesus wouldn't act like this particular group and all these things he's telling me about jesus and i was like i i you know it's like he created this own whole narrative about who Jesus is and what he did, you know? But ultimately, you see at the center of it, as he's explaining it to his disciples, he's come here to give his life in service and sacrifice for these people. Suffering is the path to glory for the Messiah and his followers. Because you'll notice something. I don't, I don't know if I put, um, put this in my study of this, but you understand that like the, the followers, he'll say to them, um, the the pathway for you is suffering. You're, you're not going to escape that if you're following me. Following me is that that's the road. The journey is carrying your cross. 
So you're following in the footsteps of your Savior. Now, 11, 1 through 16, 8, Act 3 is Jerusalem. And you kind of see how Jesus becomes the king. Now, what's interesting is when he shows up, and we'll do this uh, every, um, every spring, and we will talk about how, and the kids will participate, Jesus coming in, uh, and as he comes in through his triumphal entry, they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna. And um, we'll call it Palm Sunday. And, and you, you, you think all of that, they're, they're saying, they're giving him the king's welcome. But again, it's kind of a haunting feeling because you're like, the king is about to die. They're all like rejoicing and praising, but at the same time, he's about to die. And he begins to confront the religious leaders and the, the corruption and uh, the darkness of that time and of that age, and he cleanses the temple. And you see that in Mark eleven fifteen through 17. He goes about driving out the, the money changers in the temple, and he says, my house, the, God's house is to be called a house of prayer for all the nations. And he's calling them to, to, to understand. He's exposing all these things, but he wants to expose the darkness of that deal and say, look, when God is dwelling among you, it is for the nations. It's for the blessing of the peoples. It is for interaction with God. It's to be close to him. And he is the one who is the embodiment of that. And so... People don't like that. And there's a lot of a rejection of Jesus. And they, they start thinking about how they can destroy him and kill him. In chapter 14, we see Jesus betrayed. And, and we see the Passover and the Lord's Supper with his disciples. So all of that's kind of beginning to get exposed. But we see Jesus shows them what it's like to really uh, be united to him. What does it mean to be in relationship with him to be uh, to be rescued from sin and death and so the Passover always it kind of explained that but in a much further way in the Lord's Supper you're going to see that that's what Messiah has come to do and then he'll be arrested he'll go through a trial and the trial's so foolish and silly and Mark shows us that and so you're saying like what is going on these people it's so fake they have this fake kind of trial that takes place and then Pilate finally, kind of after the religious leaders go through their, you know, condemning of Jesus in a false way, Pilate ends up leaving it with the people. And this is what you hear in Mark chapter 15, verse 9. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? And the people respond, crucify him. And so we go from this kind of introductory seeing who Jesus is, this little kind of break with the disciples explaining how he's going to become king. And then we see the actual him becoming king. And that is through him giving his life for the people. He does not defend himself. It goes, it opposes, when you uh, meet a man that always wants to fight for himself, defend himself, and he's looking for ways, whether that's in his uh, family or in other relationships, Jesus is the exact opposite of that. He knows what he has come to do. He is laying down his life. And so then in Mark 15, 18, you see him mocked, you know, and they're saying, hail, king of the Jews. I mean, he is the Messiah, the Savior, but there you see this response. It's so shocking. And then you'll see his crucifixion in Mark 15, 31 and 32. It says, so also the chief priest was priest with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying he saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, king of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. 
Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And so you're, you're seeing this being unpacked. You're seeing what it's like for the Messiah to come and rescue the people um, and, and to restore the world. He's going to have to lay down his life. He's going to have to be crucified. He's going to have to endure the wrath of God. And in his death, you see that in Mark fifteen thirty three and 34. When this, the hour had come in the ninth hour, Jesus cried out. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you see that the Messiah is not just coming, the king is not just coming and, and physically dying. But there is a spiritual uh, struggle there. He is forsaken of God. He's under the divine curse. And he, really what you see in Matthew 15, 37 and 38 is when he cried out and breathed his last. You see what really this is all about. The veil of the temple is torn in two. What does that mean? It means that like you can have access to God again. It means the king has made a way for you to be restored to the Lord. To, to, he, is, he is the Lord, of course, and he is restoring us to himself. It means that we get to, again, like know him personally. We get to experience his presence. We get to, to have the promise of a future where not only now can we pray and go into the Holy of Holies, but one day we'll enter into his presence forever and ever. And so he dies. And really, Matthew 15, 30, I mean, sorry, Mark 15, 39 says there's only one person really that interprets this well. And this centurion says, truly, this is the son of God. Truly, he is the son of God. And so he is buried. And then in Mark chapter 16, we're almost done here. Verses six through eight. There are people that go to visit the tomb where he had been buried. And they go there and the stone had been rolled away. And he said to them, this person that is there, this angelic person, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee, there you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to no one, for they were afraid. It kind of leaves you with like their response, where you're like, what's going to happen? How's this going to work out? And of course, it's filled in later in, in some of the, uh, in other texts and things, but it's just important just to stop and say, like, his resurrection is the thing that helps you see, like, the king did come. He did live here. He did act in a perfect way. He did speak, and, and he did show you what it was like for the kingdom to have come. And then he laid down his life, and yet then he was resurrected, victorious from the grave. And so I, I think it's important for us today to say that's kind of the flow of Mark. But as you think about it, you might say, what are the main themes? And I think there are two that stand out. One is answering the question of who is Jesus and leaving you with the thought, how am I going to respond? Because some of you might say, oh, I've read Mark and I know this and I know this whole story and blah, blah, blah. But ultimately, you need to hear that again. Who is Jesus? What does he what has he done? What did he did do? How does he come to us? And and, and what did he do with his life? How, how did he uh, accomplish this salvation that he's promised? And we see that through his words, works, the ultimate laying down of his life and then rising again from the grave. 
But the big question is, is what you will do with him. Because some of us here, again, you grow up in the church, it's, um, maybe you've heard the message over and over, and you, but you still haven't really seen him. And maybe today you will. Maybe today you understand what he's done and what he's accomplished, and you're, you're willing now to say, oh, I see, I see, and your eyes have been opened. And God, by his grace and for his glory, helps you understand this Jesus who came, lived, died, and rose again is the one who is rescuing us and bringing us back to God. The other one is, I think, the idea of what does it mean to be his disciple? What, what does that look like? You know what's interesting about those disciples is they oftentimes, when you're looking at them, you think, my goodness, are they understanding all these things? Are they seeing it and grasping it? And there's an element where you say, you know, there's things I would want to imitate them. I want to follow Jesus when he's calling me. I want to follow him and, and, and follow in the ways in which he calls me to. And yet at the same time, like, I know I struggle with that. And sometimes I struggle with unbelief or I'm struggling with seeing things clearly. And so there, there's like these negative examples of them that sometimes helps you just stop and say, you know what? I need a lot of God's mercy. I need God to divinely help me understand. I need him speaking to me and explaining to me what is right and good and true. And so that's what you see in um, Jesus' interaction with his disciples. He does not leave them in their folly and their foolishness, but he opens up their eyes to see. He speaks to them in a way that they can understand. He stops and he answers those questions. And even in their weaknesses, he continues to move closer to them and draw them to himself. And so for you today, if you are in Christ, you should be encouraged. The disciples, like us, struggle with trusting, struggle with walking and obedience, struggle with a lot of different things, and yet um, following Jesus is something that we put a lot of hope in what Jesus is doing, not, not in what we do. And if you're not, I would call you to follow him. He is the only Savior, our only hope. He is the salvation that has come. He is the king that came to rescue a bride and to restore a world for her, and he will do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your wisdom and your kindness to us, that you do not leave us to just be thinking up thoughts about Jesus, that we have eyewitness testimony, and we ask that you would help us see him may this be a year of seeing and savoring our savior maybe in a way that we never have before and i ask lord for those who are not followers here those who may be associated with jesus but not really following jesus i pray that this year would be a year where they could say i remember in 2023 when I went from knowing about him to following him. In Christ's name, amen. If you would stand with me at this time.